Uh, continue to pray uh, for the Ukraine and Russia and that whole situation. Um, it's, it is a definitely a sticky one, and I know that that is not something that God wants, plain and simple. Um, if you read in Scripture, yes, uh, Jesus is a warrior. It makes it clear in the book of Revelations that Jesus does fight. He does come back to take control of the planet as a warrior um, and to fight. But this is what's going on now is not, um, not what God wants whatsoever. We can only pray that, uh, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit would be revealed, that people would come to Christ through all of this. One of the things um, that, if you've, never, if you've never read this book, I would highly recommend it, uh, The Screwtape Letters. How many of you have read Screwtape Letters? Yeah, uh, a good number of you. So this is actually C.S. Lewis, who is, who's known for uh, The Lion, Witch, and a Wardrobe, if you've seen any of those movies. But this is another book that he wrote in 1942. And when you realize that it was written in 1942, you're going to read this and go, no, it had, he, he wrote this last night, didn't he? Like... It's that relevant, and it's, a, it's basically just a compilation of letters from a demon uh, in hell. It's written from the viewpoint of hell, and it's a compilation of letters from a demon who is training his nephew how to torture the patient, which is humanity, and, and how to wreak havoc on humanity. And then, of course, the enemy, as you read this book, the enemy is heaven and Jesus and the angels. And so it's written from the viewpoint of hell. Very intriguing, very interesting. And something he says in here as he's writing, as he's writing his nephew, he says, listen, the last thing we want on earth for mankind from hell's viewpoint is war. Because war causes humans to realize they're mortal and turn to an eternal being. We can't have that. Uh, so it's very interesting to, to, to read. And so as I start this morning on spiritual warfare, we're going to talk about the ranks and files of the demonic forces in, in the unseen realm, in the spiritual realm. The Bible is very clear that, sa that Satan's demonic forces are set up like a military with rank and file. And one of his greatest weapons is to convince us that he doesn't exist that demons are just, you know, whatever. And so I'm going to read to you a letter as, um, as Screwtape, as Screwtape writes his nephew, Wormwood. Uh, I just want to read th this portion of this. My dear Wormwood, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patient, and again, the patient is us, to keep the patient in ignorance of your own existence. That question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, that is the question for at least the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by high command. Our policy, for the moment, is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism, and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists or skeptics, at least not yet. And he goes on in this particular letter, and he says, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils, quote, devils are predominantly comic figures in modern imagination will help you. If any faint 
suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and a pitchfork, and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Suggesting that though we would prefer direct terrorism on his mind and to torment them and to cause fear, by all means, make sure he's convinced that we don't exist. And if he starts to think that maybe we do exist, just place in his mind the idea of a devil in red tights and a pitchfork, because that's a very comical thing, and then he'll just dismiss us again. In other words, do your best that when you're working on your patient, the, this human that you've been assigned to, do your best to convince him we don't exist and we don't play on their feelings and we don't play on their emotions and we don't play on their minds, that we're non-existent. Because after all, I mean, think about it. How important is it for your enemy or how important is it for an enemy of anybody or anything to not be seen. It's extremely important. Why else would our own government invest billions and billions of dollars in stealth technology so that the latest fighter jets of stealth technology, when they appear, if they do appear on radar, they appear as like a small bird, like a robin, and then it gets dismissed because they don't even know that we're there. The idea is not to be seen, but the apostle Paul pulls the curtain back on them and on demonic forces. And as I said last week, and I shared a lot of things last week that were really, you might think maybe were over the top, but they're real. And so I just kind of did that for shock value to get you to wake up. Because I have, you kind of have to sound the alarm with this stuff because most of us think that demons and devils are just little guys in, in comics, right? And they don't really exist. The greatest weapon of the enemy is to convince us he doesn't exist. That's his greatest weapon. In Luke chapter 4, you just write this down, go back and read it, it won't be on the screen, but in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44, Jesus goes into the temple and begins to read scripture. And it says that there's a man in the temple, as Jesus is speaking, begins to scream out, voices begin to come out of him, and Jesus then, the Bible says that Jesus cast the demon out of the man, the man has convulsions. The demons throw him on the floor. He's not hurt. And the demons come out of the man. Now, when you read the story, what you're going to see is, and what we know, is that this man sitting in the temple was a ruler in the temple. He was a religious person. He was a person of importance in the temple. And one of the ways that demonic forces cloak themselves is through religion. They cloak themselves to think that, well, look how religious that person is. They can't, surely they can't be evil. Because <laughs> we have an example in the New Testament right there where Jesus literally cast demons out of a high-ranking religious official in the temple who was helping run the temple. Religion houses the demonic forces like no other. We just got to understand that. Why? Because they don't want you to think they exist. And so if they can put on a religious air, 
right? We've always done it this way. We're not going to change. This is just the way it is. You start to settle, and we'll see towards the end of this sermon how that idea opens the door for demonic forces to come in and control a church. Because it begins to, as I talked about last week, building a stronghold in the mind. You dig the trench, you put a brick down, you throw some mortar, you throw another brick down, you throw some mortar, and over time, it just begins to build a stronghold in the mind. And once they've got that stronghold in their mind, they can now be manipulated by demonic forces. Well, I believe I'm this way, or this is the how we are, or this is it. And so that stronghold has taken place now, and now that individual or that organization or those people can become manipulated by the stronghold in their mind. But it doesn't just happen overnight. That, look, the devil doesn't show up on your doorstep and go, ding dong, hi, I'm here. Uh, would you like to be attacked? Uh, we have option number one. Now, that, that's $20 a month, and that includes two demons and a loss of attire. Or you can have option three. Now, that's a little cheaper route. Come on, right? He doesn't do that. Ding dong, I'm here. Hi, which package would you like to buy? No. That's ridiculous, right? And so in Luke chapter 4, 31 through 44, we see that this is a high-ranking religious official. Some, some theologians even believe that this is actual, an actual priest in the temple that is possessed to control and manipulate. And so what we want to do today is we want to kind of pull that curtain back, right? The, the whole, remember the Wizard of Oz, right? It used to come on like every spring growing up. Do you remember that? We used to come on every spring, and we'd sit down and watch it, and we'd get popcorn and put the blanket out on the floor, and my sister and my parents would be like, whoa, it's the Wizard of Oz, and I'd be like, they cut the Dukes of Hazard out for this, <laughs> right? And so, or the A-team, or whatever, pick your, pick your, right? And I was like, come on. And you know, there's this one scene where they finally get into Oz, and the guy's like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, Right? Okay, we're about ready to pull the curtain back, as the Apostle Paul does when he writes to the church at Ephesus. Stay with me. We're going to read about six verses. It'll be lengthy, but we're going to camp in these six verses until the end of this series. In Ephesians chapter 6, 12 through 18, it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So he writes to the church in Ephesus, and we already talked about the culture, what the culture was like back then. Um, some of you are like, I saw raised eyebrows when I was talking about the culture. Like, you think we're bad. We're not even close to what the culture was pre-Christianity. We're not even close. 
nobody in this room even understands what the world was like pre-Christian because the world has been so influenced by Christianity, we can't even comprehend it. But he says there in verse 12, we can go back to verse 12, he says, for our struggle... This is a huge word, and it's so important for us to understand. We think struggle like we're doing a little arm wrestling, right? Or, or, or a little struggle like, you know, like we're just spitting out our ideas on social media, and we don't really have any repercussions other than we might get censored on social media, right? Like, this isn't the word, this is not the word struggle. The word struggle is pele, P-A-L-E, and it literally means to wrestle, but in their culture and in their world, there were levels of wrestling. Okay? There were levels of wrestling. And their highest form of wrestling goes far beyond an octagon in MMA or UFC. It's way beyond that. All right? And it's not the male soap opera of the WWE. Right? That's all scripted. Some of you are like, yeah, he talked about WWE in church. Right? It's none of that stuff. It's nothing like that. The highest form, and I'm not going to go through every level of wrestling, but the highest form of wrestling that would have stuck out in their mind comes from this word, struggle, and it's pancreaton, P-A-N-K, P-A-N-K-R-A-T-I-O-N, pancreaton. It comes from the word pan, which means all, and kratos, which means exhibited power. It means to exhibit all of the power you have. All of the ability you have to demolish and kill someone, put it on display. Which means when they wrestled, they would come in with weapons. They would come in trained. They would come in ready to fight to the death. They fought to the death. One person was walking out, like I shared last week, right? Well, how do you know they're a professional athlete? Because they're missing like nine fingers. All right, how do you know they're a professional athlete? Do you see a nose on their face? Right? This was the level of wrestling in that time. This is when, the, when this letter, when, the, when Ephesians, the letter to the church at Ephesus, would have been read aloud to the church in the city, this is the image they would have had in their mind when he uses this word. You bring everything to bear to kill them in the ring. It was a fight to the death. And thousands would gather to watch two people fight to the death. Like, get your popcorn right, in your Swedish fish, and kick back and watch two people just bludgeon each other until one of them is dead. This is that word. And Paul uses this, and this is the idea that they have. And this is the word that Paul uses to describe our fight against Satan. One of us is going down to the death. Satan's in this until one of us, either you or him, dies. It's a fight to death to control you and to manipulate you and destroy you. Now, thankfully, that Christ already took that fight to Satan, to the death, and came back and said, nah, death doesn't, I ain't got no time for death. Ain't nobody got time to die, right? That's what Jesus said. And now all we have to do is put our faith and our belief in Christ that he took that for us and stood in our stead. Otherwise, it would have been you left to fight this fight. And so Christ comes and he takes that on. In fact, there's a, actually there's an ancient inscription in archaeology in relation to this type of wrestling that archaeologists found. This is an inscription related to Pancreton. It says, if you should hear that your son has died, believe it. 
But if you hear he's been defeated and retired, do not believe it. That's in reference to this wrestling that went on, that Paul's referencing. So when Paul references us fighting evil forces, he goes, listen, this is a fight to the death. Don't think anything different. Don't think the enemy is going to go, okay, I got him. All right, I'm going to walk away now. And you're still going to have breath in your lungs. It's not going to happen. His desire is to eliminate you and wipe you out so that you have no more drive, you have no more energy. You guys look really excited about this. Is it just that war's been in the news 24-7 and you're just like, I'm sick of it. Why did you have to talk about war now? I don't know, right? Don't ask. Go ask Putin why he started the war in the middle of my series, right? That's his problem. So this is the idea. This is the word. So when Paul writes struggle, he's not talking about, oh, I'm just in a tit-tat over words and we're going back and forth on social media. This is a literal jumping in the ring and one of us are going to die. And it's not going to be me. The problem is, is that your enemy thinks it's not going to be him either. Now you have a decision to make. I can trust in the wrestling that Christ did on the cross and for the 33 years he was here on earth and kicked Satan's tail, and I can invite Christ into the ring and we can tag team, or I can fight this on my own. Because one of you are going down. It's a pretty serious wrestling. When you got into the ring with pancreaton, understand this, there were no rules when fighting our enemy. This is what Paul's trying to tell the church at Ephesus. There are no rules when you fight Satan. Throw them out the window. He will go after your kids. He will go after you. He will go after your job. He will go after the tires on the way to work. Now, I know last week I said he's not after your tires. He's really not. He's after your attitude. And if it takes taking out a tire to get to your attitude, so be it. Because as soon as the tire pops and you pull over to change it, he's going to start putting, why did it have to happen this morning? I got a meeting, blah, 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 blah. And the list could go on and on and on. The first thing he wants to do is get in your head. It gets you emotional, gets you moody, so that when you walk into work, you have a bad witness. Oh, they call themselves a Christian, right? There are no rules in this war against Satan. None. Throw them out the window. This is what Paul's telling the church at Ephesus. There are no rules. So once he lays the groundwork to say there are no rules when you battle Satan, he will come after your kids, he will come after your parents, he will come after anything he can to destroy you. Then he pulls the curtain back says, now that you understand this, let me show you how the demonic forces operate. And if you're just reading it, you won't really gather this. But he says... Rulers, he calls them rulers. If we can go back to verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? You're, you're, when that person attacks you on the job or attacks you at school, you have to understand something. It's not them. It's the demonic forces convincing them they need to say that to you. It's the forces that are operating behind the scenes, behind the curtain. It's not them. And so many times they think, well, if I could just get my hands on them, if I could just give them two you know, two cents of my mind, right? The quicker you understand it's not them, this is why Jesus says you pray for your enemies and you bless those who curse you because it's not them. They're being manipulated and controlled. I did not say possessed. They're being manipulated and controlled in their thoughts and in their minds and their attitudes to think that way, to act that way. And the quicker you can begin to see behind the curtain and begin to take authority over the enemy, and to pray for them, and to bless them, 
the quicker you win that battle. It's not them. So when somebody posts something on social media, it's not them. They've chosen to take that attitude and that thought and make it public. And they've agreed to the spirit that's whispering in their mind. You've got a person that's, that's addicted to something. You've got a person that's caught in anything. You have to understand that without Jesus and without the defense that we'll get into in a few weeks, without the defense to stand up to these influences, we are left bare. It's like, it's like walking into a war zone in the Ukraine in your whitey tidies, and that's it. You are left bare. But with Jesus and the armor, we have to understand it's not them. There are things going on behind the scenes. Everybody sitting in this room today is battling something. If you are breathing air, you're fighting something. All of us fight. All of us fight something. All of us have a problem. All of us have an issue. That's not the problem. The problem is what's causing it behind the scenes. As we'll see here in just a minute, it's the unseen realm that influences the physical realm. And if you see a problem going on in our physical realm, it's because the spiritual dimension has begun to have influence. Think about this. We all know the history of Russia, right? Communists, atheists, atheism, etc., etc. I read a statistic that the Ukraine, 80, 85% of the country is, are Christians. 85, that's higher, than, that's, that blows the United States out of the water when it comes to percentage per capita of Christians. Blows the United States out of the water. 85% of Ukrainians are Christians and confess their faith. If you haven't seen it, get on. You'll see Christians standing in subways by the masses singing and worshiping God in the underground subways in the Ukraine. Now you have an atheistic country who believes in no God. You don't think there are things operating behind the scene to take that out? I don't care what's being said from, I'll just say, I don't care what's being said from Putin's mouth. There are things going on in the unseen realm making, causing problems on a country that has 85% per capita Christians in it. Did you know that? No, you guys, <laughs> I got some serious raised eyebrows going, I didn't know that. There are things happening in the unseen realm that influence our physical world. <laughs> Just don't look behind the curtain. And as Paul pulls back the curtain, he says, there are rulers. This is the Greek word arche, R-A-R-C-H-E, arche. There are rulers. This means, literally means magistrates or kings. It means the first in order or in rank. Paul says that when we look at the demonic realm, there are those who are first in order and first in rank. He starts talking about military. He talks about ranking. He said there are those who are first in order in the demonic realm, in this fight that we have. It's likely that when he uses this word arche, it's likely that these are some of the angels that fell with Satan when he was kicked out of heaven. They are some of the angels that went, when Satan went up and said, I'm going to ascend, the book of Isaiah says that Satan says, you know what, I'm going to ascend and I'm going to take over the throne of heaven. And there, the Bible says that one third of all of the angels in heaven agreed with Satan and said, yes, we're going to overthrow heaven and take control, right? And that's when, remember, uh, you can read about it uh, in, in, in Luke, 
chapter 10, when Jesus gave all of his disciples the authority over demonic forces, etc., and he sends them out, and they come back and they go, you won't believe it. We prayed for people and they were healed. We cast demons out of people, and they were all excited. And I love Jesus' response. Okay? Like, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. What, what's your point? Don't be excited over that. Be excited that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that you're getting into heaven. That's what you should be excited about. He goes, kicking, kicking demons out of heaven is what I've been do- doing forever. I, that's not a big deal. Getting you into heaven was a big deal. Right? That's what Jesus tells his disciples. And so many believe that these, this arche, these high-ranking demonic forces, are some of the ones that were kicked out of heaven with Satan. In fact, they are usually they are usually ruling over um, ruling over regions of the earth. We see this. Uh, you can just write this down in Daniel chapter ten, verse thirteen. It says, "When Daniel prayed, immediately when Daniel prayed, God sent an answer to his prayer with an angel. The angel, when he appeared to Daniel, said, "Hey, listen." I was dispatched from heaven as soon as you prayed, but when I hit earth's atmosphere, I got into a war, and he says, the prince of Persia fought me. Now, we know this isn't a human prince, right? Because a human prince couldn't fight an angel. He's referencing Arche, what Paul calls the the demons that are in charge of entire, well, probably what we would call continents, or regions of the, of the world. And he tells Daniel, listen, as soon as you prayed, I was dispatched with the answer to your prayer. But it took, once I hit the earth's atmosphere, I had to fight this other demonic force for 90 days just to answer your prayer. Some of the pr- answer to your prayers have already been dispatched. The reason you're not getting it is because the angel bringing the answer to your prayer is in a spiritual war to get you the answer to your prayer. It happened to Daniel. It'll happen to any of us. Why why hasn't my prayer been answered? Because you're in a war. And what's one of the first things you do in war? You kill communication. You destroy communication. And so in Daniel chapter 10, we see that he says the prince of Persia or the archae of Persia, the, the one who is in control of the demonic forces over the region of Persia or the Middle East, stopped me, Daniel, from being able to get you the answer to your prayer. So that's the first rank, if you will, are those who are over, demonic forces that are over regions. Then the next one is, he says, um, rulers, and go back to that verse, rulers, and against authorities. This is another rank. This is the Greek word exousia, and it literally means to confer power or delegate power. These demonic forces would be under arche. They would be delegated to certain people to certain relationships, to certain countries. To certain, they are delegated power. No different than when your boss says, hey, I can't take care of this. Can you go and do this? Then these demonic forces have delegation and have the responsibility to carry out that order against your family, against your job, against whatever it is that's going to mess you up. Your relationships, they are sent with delegated authority by the ones above them to take out This is exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A. It means to confer power or to delegate into a jurisdiction. I'm delegating, I'm giving you this authority in this jurisdiction. 
Now that's huge. That's what, that's what that word means, to delegate into a jurisdiction. That's huge. Why do you think when in Mark, when it gives us the story of Jesus going to the madman, remember the madman of Gadara ran out of the cave when Jesus lands on the, lands on the beach? And he runs to Jesus, and he screams at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus goes, okay, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot of demons in you. What's your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion was about between five and 6,000 soldiers. So if you take that literal, this man had five to 6,000 demons in him controlling him. He was cutting himself, which is a sign of demonic influence, cutting, screaming, living in the tombs, isolation. All of these things are signs of demonic influence. And he gets to the feet of Jesus, likely under his own free will, but by the time he gets to Jesus, the demons scream out of him, and Jesus is like, whoa, what are we dealing with here? What's your name? And he goes, legion, for we are many. And he says, and the demons cry out, has our time come? Has our time of torment and torture come? They know. They know their time is short. They know their time's coming. They're not dumb. And when they see Jesus, they're like, this is it, isn't it? This is, this is when you cast us into like the lake of fire. We, we in trouble. Jesus is like, no, come out, right? And what do they say? It's in Mark chapter 5, verse 10. It says this. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of where? The area. Why? Because demons have jurisdiction. They are delegated. They have geographic regional jurisdiction. The demons are begging with Jesus, do not send us out of this area. This is our relegated, delegated area in our demonic military. And Jesus says, okay, we'll go into the pigs. And what, are these, what do the pigs do? The first thing the pigs do is they run off a cliff and commit suicide, which is another sign of demonic influence. The thought and the temptation of suicide is a demonic, direct demonic influence. The, if you read about anybody who's, who, who is possessed from the little boy who was possessed to this madman that was possessed, talks about cutting themselves, throwing themselves into water, trying to drown themselves, throwing themselves into fire, trying to burn and burn themselves to death. It is a sign of demonic influence. Suicide, cutting, all of these things are signs of demonic influence. And so we have to be aware when we see these things that Satan's at work. And that these particular demons in Mark chapter 5 verse 10 said, hey, don't send us out of this area. This lines right up with what Paul is telling us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. He's saying they are delegated authority to rule over this region. Which explains when you stop and think about, why is that town just always like that? That city is always like that. That, that country is just always like that. Why can't they change? As we're seeing, Satan has his demonic forces set up to control regions, to control towns, to control families. And without the power of the Holy Spirit to defeat it, your town your county, your whatever, will constantly battle the same thing over and over and over because it's demonically inspired. It's a demonic influence. I'm just, I'm just skimming the surface of these scriptures that tie in together. It's throughout all of the Bible. The thing is, is that most churches aren't going to talk about this because it seems hokey and it seems like, oh, that's just superstition. It's not. It's in there. Jesus dealt with it. 
we just don't like to talk about it because it seems like, well, uh, yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I can't analyze it and I can't put numbers to it and I can't, and it's not, how's that helping my marriage? Well, let me tell you how it helps your marriage. I'm pulling the curtain back on what's creating problems in your marriage. What you got to do is stand up to it. Well, I don't understand what's happening in that relationship. Why are they like that? I'm just pulling the curtain back. Here's your real problem. Your problem's not them or their attitude. The problem is the demonic forces that have gotten into the issue, have gotten into the relationship, or have gotten into the marriage, or have gotten into the thought life of the individual so that they cut themselves, or they're thinking about suicide, or they do all these things because we are made in the image of God, and Satan's goal is to eliminate the image of God off the planet. Because when he sees you, he sees the image of the one who kicked him out of heaven. Ouch. Sorry, you were, you were born with a bounty on your head. Whether you accept Jesus or not doesn't matter. You were born into this earth, you were born with a bounty on your head. And Satan wants you gone. It's not uncommon for a city or a town to be influenced by certain types of demons. It's just not. You see, you see alcoholism really high in one town but low in another. There's something going on behind the scenes. You see a meth issue. There's something going on behind the scenes. You see arrogance and bullying going on. There's something else going on behind the scenes. You see a high suicide rate. Something else is going on behind the scenes. The sooner we grasp this, the sooner we can tackle it in the spiritual realm, which then will begin to influence the physical realm, and then you'll begin to see the physical results of your prayer and your fighting and your warring. But until you decide to fight what's behind the scenes, you'll constantly be dealing with only what you can see. And Satan didn't care about that because he can just keep shifting and moving things. Satan is very good at the shell game, <laughs> and we are not. We're very good at going, oh, I see that. All the while, this back over here is getting attacked and obliterated, right? And then he says, so he talks about the first one, right? So he talks about the rulers. He says authority, and then he says powers. We've got three ranks here this morning, right? Rulers, authorities, and then powers. Powers are easy. They're like privates, right? Oh, you just enlisted. Great. Come along. You're a private. Follow me. The word power is, yeah, I'm not going to even try to pronounce this Greek word, all right? It's, <laughs> it simply means this. It means to violently grasp or seize hold of and begin to train. So if you've ever been to boot camp, been violently grasped, seized, and commanded to, to get over it because now you're in the army and you're fighting, right? This is what this word means. Satan deals with his demonic forces as a trained army of darkness. This is an army you're fighting. They are trained. They are prepared. They are, they are ready to roll. The reason the enemy is so effective is he has discipline, organization, and commitment. He has discipline, organization, and commitment. And that's why the enemy is so effective at destroying families, destroying towns, destroying regions, destroying relationships, destroying thoughts, destroying individual lives. It's because he is organized. He is disciplined, and he is committed. Now, here's... Our thing, we have limitless supply of power. 
limitless supply of the very power that flung the stars into space, the very power that took on the cross, went to hell, and came back to life out of the grave, now resides in us. We have limitless power. Satan is, only, Satan is limited in his power. But you know what our issue is? We're not committed, we're not disciplined, and we're not organized. Give me an army that is disciplined, organized, and committed will we'll defeat an enemy and another army that is not committed, not organized, and not, com- not committed or disciplined. They will defeat them regardless of how much power they have. That's what we have to understand. That's why it's so important when, when, the, when the gentleman who came to Jesus and said, I really want to be your disciple. I really want to follow. But my father's dying. And very non-PC, Jesus goes, let the dead bury their dead. You following me or not? But my dad's dying. And Jesus goes, you following me or are you going to go back and bury your dad? Which is it? Oh. That's serious business. Jesus isn't playing when he says, follow me. Jesus says that I have come to turn father against daughter and son against mother. I have come because families will split over me. Jesus didn't play. He's serious about this because he sees behind the scenes. He sees both realms. He sees the physical realm and he sees the spiritual realm. And he goes, I'm not here to play anymore. We think Jesus is a nice, quiet pacifist. He wasn't. He was not that at all. Look at what he said to people. He said, it's either me or your family. Which is it? And sadly, because all we see is the curtain, we snuggle up to the curtain, never seeing what's behind it. And so here's what I want to say. As you look at, as Paul kind of pulls the curtain back in chapter 6 and verse 12, he goes, here's the rank and file of the demons. This is how they work. This is how they operate. They communicate. We have limitless power. The reason they get a stronghold and get a stronghold in our life or get a hand in our life is through our own negligence. We have the power, but we just neglect it. We set it aside. And then we run around, I don't know why this is happening. So if you're sitting here this morning, you have no more excuse as to why things are happening. Okay? Men, this is a sermon for you to lead your family. That whole male warrior mentality thing, to lead, however that leadership, whatever that leadership looks like, right? That desire to create, because in war, you have to be very creative in what you do, right? That, that, that desire to defend and protect and to love, this is your responsibility. Hopefully, if you've heard me this morning, you're in a war. It's your job to stand up and protect your family. But it isn't physical. You know that story that I shared with you last week about the gentleman who had demonic activity going on in his home? He said, every night we would hear footsteps coming down the hallway. He goes, so finally one night, I just got fed up and got my gun. I didn't respond like that to him. I thought, yeah. 
that's not going to, you're going to do more damage than good, you know. And I tried to explain that. And I tried to explain, listen, your gun isn't going to help, right? Your classic rock of, yeah, let's pump it up, isn't going to help, right? What helps is when you're on your knees and on your, fi- on your knees fighting, praying. Men, this is your job. This is why you're wired the way you are is to fight, but the fight isn't against your neighbor or something you can see. The fight is the unseen realm. This is your responsibility as a man, is to stand up and fight for this. But there's good news, okay? There's some good news. This is our last verse in 1 Peter 5.8. Peter writes, be alert and be, sober mi- be of sober mind. The word sober does not mean not to be drunk. It means think this through and have some common sense. Be alert and have some common sense about yourself. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Isn't that good news? Okay, I'll give you the plot twist. Because some of you are like, how is this good news? The enemy walks around seeking. Do you know what the word seek means? It means... You ready? This isn't like anything deep in the Greek or nothing like that. If I'm seeking for it, I have to work to find it. He has to work to find somebody to devour. A lion doesn't just jump into a pack of yak or zebras and take them all on. He can't. He wouldn't survive, right? The good news is that the devil has to seek. He has to work to find somebody to devour in the Christian faith. Which once again means we've been negligent in our faith. Lions look for somebody who's weak, who's feeble, who isn't connected to the pack, who isn't whatever. They're alone, right? They're not mature enough to stand on their own. You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like a kid. It sounds like a child. It sounds like a teenager who doesn't understand, hey, if you go messing with this stuff, it's going to create a stronghold in your mind, and then you're going to be trapped until you break it down. And if our children don't understand this, guess who the enemy is looking for? Our kids. Because most any parent in here is going to be like, I'll lay down my life for my kid. But to sit there and watch your own kid get devoured is a different ball game. And the enemy knows that. He's aware of that. He gets it. And the word devour does not mean to eat. It means to lick blood off the floor because there's nothing else left. So when Peter writes and he says, guys, listen, the enemy's like a lion. He's, he's got to find somebody he's looking for, which means he can't get to most everybody. You have to understand, Satan's not eternal. Satan is not infinite. Our creator and the power in us is infinite. But he's not. His attack can only last for so long. But when he gets a hold of somebody, he's not interested in just eating the meat and the bones and the brains and the eyes. He's interested in all of that. And then when he's done, he's just going to lick the blood off the floor. It means to completely remove any symbol of ever existing. That's what he wants out of you. He wants to remove every symbol that you've ever existed. 
This is serious business. But we take our faith in our church lightly. Now, I know you don't because you're here. But think about the lives that have been destroyed, the lives that are being destroyed. This is Satan's job. But this is 1 Peter 5, 8, and the enemy running around like a lion is good news. Why? Because if you're diligent and you're staying in a pack of Christians and being built up in your faith and in your spirit, if you're surrounded by other believers that can pray for you and understand what's going on behind the scenes and attack that, it's going to be real hard for a lion to get into the pack. This is good news. This verse is very good news. But if you're out there like, well, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus, but I don't need to go to church. Yeah, we all know how that goes, right? You will not last. You won't. You won't last. So the good news is that Satan devours the weak and the isolated, not those that are in a pack and are living out their community and living out in faith with fellow believers and praying for one another and guarding each other. That's good news. And the fact that you're sitting in here this morning, you should be excited. You're in a pack to protect your faith that's going to watch over you and guard you and pray for you. You guys are like, we're looking really serious. Is that not good news? Is that just, right? Yes, absolutely it is. So here's what I want to encourage you this morning. As you think about this, and you think about what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that there are demonic forces that control regions, and then they just break it down like a military. There are some that are assigned to destroy marriages. There are some that are assigned to destroy lives. There are some that are assigned to destroy towns and cities and make wreak a havoc and create all kinds of divisions and argument and gossip so we turn on ourselves so we can't see the real problem. The good news is that when we stick together and we pray for one another and we love each other and we encourage one another, the world looks from the outside in and goes, what is, what is that group? Why do they love each other so much? And why are they helping each other out so much? And why are they praying for each other? And they go, I want to be a part of that. And that's our witness. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. I want to encourage you this week. I, I'm not sharing these things with you to scare you or to frighten you. But I'm sharing, with the, sharing them with you so that you will be aware of the enemy's tactics, of what he's trying to do, of how he operates, right? Because, again, his number one goal is for you to think he doesn't exist or that he's not trying to attack. I want you to be aware because I love each and every one of you, and I want you to know what's really happening in a world that you can't see. You see the results in our physical world. You see those results but you don't see what goes on behind the scenes.